This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Good morning, Life Church. Man, have I missed you guys. I, you haven't noticed, I'm sure, but I've been gone for several weeks. And the reason is because this year for me marks uh, 20 years in full-time ministry. And so, yeah, thank you guys. Um, but Pastor Dave and the elders were so generous that they gave me a sabbatical or some extended time off. And uh, I can tell you, I wasn't sure what to think about it at first. I'm not a big time off guy. It's like my whole life, I've just taken a couple of days here, a couple of days there. So this extended time off thing, I was like, I'm not sure. But I can tell you this, man, it was so good for me. It was good for my family. And I am just super grateful for the leadership. But I'm also excited to be back. And I am rested, recharged, and ready to go this morning. And uh, at first off, I want to give a shout out, though, to uh, Lydia and Jason and really the whole production team for what they're doing online. Uh, over the last several weeks, um, yeah, over the last several weeks, I was able to just, every Sunday I could tune in and, and, and stay connected with what was happening here at Life Church. And I know these guys work really hard to put out just a quality experience online. So let's show our appreciation to these guys. And because I was able to stay connected, I know that we've been working our way through the book of Acts. And we actually started all the way back at the beginning of June, um, where we looked at the supernatural spread of Christianity, how it spread all over the world from this just small group of, of disciples uh, and this, this carpenter from Nazareth, and it just took over the world, this movement. Then we looked at some key figures, some key personalities. Uh, we looked at Peter, we looked at Paul, we looked at Barnabas. And then we spent a couple of weeks looking at the Holy Spirit. And next week, we're going to start uh, just taking a couple of weeks to look at the church in the book of Acts. But this, uh, this Sunday, we're going to do something a little different. Pastor Dave just said to me, hey, is there a favorite story you have from the book of Acts uh, that we're not going to cover in some of these other weeks? And for me, I, I had several uh, immediately off the top of my head, but the one we're going to be looking at today really was one of those at the top of the list. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. <laughs> Acts chapter 16. And let me give you a little bit of context. Let me set the stage, what's going on before we jump into the story. So Paul has this vision to take the gospel to Macedonia. And this is a big deal because this is the first time that really Christianity would kind of spread into Europe because Macedonia is kind of modern day Greece. And so he has this vision to take the gospel to Macedonia. So Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, and Timothy join Paul and Silas. They get on a boat, they sail to Macedonia, and they work their way to the city of Philippi, which is this incredibly uh, strategic, prominent city in Macedonia. And so, like I said, as Luke's writing here, verse 16 says, once we were going to the place of prayer and we were met by a female slave who had a spirit or a demon by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. 
She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept us up for many days. And finally, Paul was so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. I mean, Paul's right there. You know, my, at first glance, I kind of look at that and go, man, it's kind of cool how even demons respect and fear God, right? To the point that it looks like this spirit is even trying to kind of do Paul's bidding for him, trying to help Paul out by announcing who they are and what they're there to do. But the more I thought about it, I was like, man, that doesn't make any sense because it said Paul became annoyed. You see, that spirit, that demon wasn't helping him out. That demon was trying to disrupt what Paul was doing. And what Paul was doing was he was trying to do relational evangelism. You see, they didn't know any, there was not a church, there wasn't a synagogue, they didn't know anyone in Philippi. They literally went there cold turkey. And you can see in the, in the verses before that with the conversion of Lydia, kind of what Paul's, uh, man, what his approach was gonna be where he, him and, and the rest of the guys, they went down to the river where in this part of the country, if there's water, there's gonna be people gathered. And so they just kind of go down to the river and they just kind of start up some conversations, just nonchalant, talking with people, getting to know people. And he ends up in this conversation with Lydia and through that conversation, she opens up her heart and gives her life to Jesus. And so that's what Paul's there to do, this relational evangelism. He's not on the street corner with the bullhorn, right? He's trying to just get there and get to know some people. And the spirit is disrupting that. Think of it this way. Imagine that like I moved to a new community or a new neighborhood. We got a bunch of those little neighborhoods around here. And say, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know any neighbors. I'm new to the area. And, they, and I see that, hey, uh, this Friday night, we're gonna have this mixer where you can meet people, meet your neighbors. And so I show up to that and you know, you're doing the social thing. Hey, you know, and you see, I see some guys that look pretty cool. Maybe we have some common ground. And so I walk over and hey, my name's Greg, what's your name? And how, you know, where are you from? How, how long have you lived here? And eventually, with guys especially, the question always comes up, so what do you do? Imagine me going, I am a servant of the Most High God, here to show you the way to be saved. Those guys would be like, hey, my friend just walked in, so I'm gonna go say hi. Like, right, they would, be, they would scatter, they would be gone. And that's what this demon's doing to Paul. And so Paul gets annoyed and he turns around and he says, hey, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave her. And that's important. When Paul says, in the name of Jesus, you see, as you look at all these miracles performed in the book of Acts by the disciples, they have this common thread, which is they use the name of Jesus. Man, in Acts 3, Pastor Tom talked about it last Sunday with the lame beggar. Peter says, listen, I don't have any silver, don't have any gold, but in the name of Jesus, stand and walk. You see, they realize their power didn't come from their own strength. Their power doesn't come from anything within them. Listen, we don't have the ability to do these kind of things. There's nothing in us that can change someone's life. Our power comes from the name in which we bear. Our authority comes from the one we represent. Think about it like this. Think about it as like an ambassador. Say an ambassador of the United States goes to a foreign country. Listen, that foreign country 
doesn't roll out the red carpet for that individual. That individual on their own has no leverage, has no ability to negotiate, to issue threats, to promise aid, whatever. But what gives that ambassador the power and authority and leverage to do those things is the one that they represent. You see, an ambassador of the United States has the might of the U.S. military behind them, right? The U.S. ambassador has the weight of the U.S. economy behind them where they can promise to help out and send aid. Listen, our power and authority, church, does not come from us. It comes from the one that we represent. Do you understand that, church? So listen, when we pray, we need to pray in the name of Jesus. When we ask for healing, we need to do so in the name of Jesus. When we ask for provision, we do so in the name of Jesus. That is so important because our authority comes from the one we represent. Let's keep reading verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. So it's funny here, these slave owners, they're just ticked off that they kind of lost out on some money. And so they drag Paul and Silas to the officials and what do they do? They lie about them, but they also play the race card it's like they knew what buttons to push to get everyone fired up and in a hissy, right? They knew how to get everyone on their side. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 22, the crowd joined in an attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fasten their feet in stocks. So it's ironic to me that here's Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy and man, this girl is, man, healings brought to this girl and immediately Paul and Silas are beaten. It's ironic that they, they free her of this spirit and then they're thrown in prison. And Paul and Silas Man, they find themselves in a mess. And what's worse is that they didn't do anything wrong. And most of the messes that I find myself in is usually the result of me being an idiot. Just, it's my fault. It's usually something I did, a result of my actions, but not Paul and Silas. They were doing the right thing. They were fully in the will of God, and yet they find themselves in this completely helpless situation. There was no one to call upon, no one to help them out. They didn't know anyone in the city. They were in a helpless situation. Have you ever been in a helpless situation? I'm not talking about where you still have a little bit of wiggle room to kind of manipulate and fix stuff. I mean, completely helpless. Not where it's 50% you and 50% God, but like you can't do anything. That's where Paul and Silas find themselves. Man, I was in a situation like that several months ago. I'm a big outdoorsman. And so I decided on my own, which was the first dumb thing, to go way back into the Ruby Mountains. Uh, if you've never been to the Ruby Mountains, it's not the Virginia foothills. Uh, it is rugged, steep, tough country. 
And so I had kind of gone out there by myself and I'd set up this camp and I went way up high into the altitude. And it was kind of getting dark. So I started working my way back down to the truck. So then I got to the truck. I was going to work my way back down to my camp. And of course, it's getting dark. I'm on these just really tight winding roads way up in the mountains. And wouldn't you know it, man, I get a little too close to the edge, my truck, the whole passenger side, the wheels slide off the edge of the road. And to my right is like this, I don't know, a five-story drop to the bottom of this ravine where there's boulders and creek. And, um, and, but I didn't panic. I've been in these situations before. So I was like, all right, you know, you know what to do. Put it four-wheel low, crawl out of it. But every time I would try to move this truck, it just slid and got worse. So like the dirt was given away. And man, my, it just, next thing you know, it's like the driver's side wheels are like the, whole, the only thing holding the truck onto the road. And it just had that sinking feeling that, I can't fix this. I am in a mess. And so I grabbed what I could and I just walked the rest of the way to camp. By this time, it's dark, dark. And man, I was just so distraught. I wasn't hungry, couldn't sleep. And wouldn't you know it, the worst storm I've ever been in in the state of Nevada blew in in the middle of the night where it's like blowing snow sideways, one of those kind of things. And man, this tent's rocking and shaking. And man, here I am just completely helpless, nothing I can do. I can't walk to a town. It was about an hour and a half drive to the nearest town. I couldn't call anyone. It was 30 minute drive to where I last had cell service. And so I was in a mess. Nothing to do, I was completely helpless, no way to fix it. And Paul and Silas are in a similar situation where they're in this inner prison in stocks, don't know a soul there in Philippi. But look at how they respond. Look at what they do in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And listen, when you, when you are singing hymns to God at midnight in prison, Worship is no longer just something you do. Worship is no longer just a box you're checking off. Man, at that point, if you're, if you're in that situation and worshiping God, at that point, man, worship is ingrained in who you are. Man, listen, it's easy to worship God on Sundays, but what about Monday through Saturday? It's easy to worship God in this incredible environment, but what happens when you're in a really tough spot? Man, it's easy to worship God when you're surrounded by like-minded people, 1,200 people in this room with their hands lifted, going for it. But what about when you're surrounded by opposition? And it's easy to worship him when life is going great. But what happens, man, when you're in a mess? I can tell you this. Listen, when I was sitting in that tent in the Ruby Mountains, and man, that thing was about to blow away, I felt like. Listen, I was doing a lot of things. I was crying. I was praying. I was negotiating with God. What I wasn't doing was worshiping. You did not see me in that tent. How great is our God. But man, here you have Paul and Silas stripped naked, beaten severely, bleeding in chains in the, probably the most foul place you could ever imagine. And what are they doing? They are praising God. What an incredible lesson that is for me that, listen, I may not be able to change my circumstances, but I sure can change my response. 
I may not have any power over what I'm going through or what I'm dealing with, but I do have power over how I view it. And I can choose to either whine or I can choose to rejoice. I can choose to drown in self-pity or I can choose to be grateful. I can choose to sit here and wallow and, and just stare at my navel or I can lift my eyes to heaven. And it's important for us to be reminded, listen, it's not about where I'm at today. What's important is what I'm doing where I'm at today. And it's, yet they were praising God in this terrible, helpless situation. And then look what happens. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. They were praising God at midnight in prison and all of a sudden, man, the ground was shaking, the doors opened and the chains fell off. Listen church, worship is not just something we do to fill 25 minutes in a Sunday church service. Worship is not just the warm up to the preaching or the message. Worship isn't the opener, right? Worship is a powerful, powerful weapon. And time and time again, we see it where worship has set captives free. Worship has tore down walls. Worship has split seas and moved mountains. Listen, it is a powerful, powerful weapon. And when whining and complaining can't change my circumstance, guess what? Worship can. Because as my praise goes up, his power comes down. Worship's a weapon. Look back at that verse we just read. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations, that's important, underline or highlight that. Foundations of the prison were shaken. Listen, God didn't just make the chains fall off. God just didn't swing open the doors. Man, he shook the very ground that prison was built upon. Woo! So many times when I'm in a tough spot, I'm sitting there going, man, how am I gonna get these chains off? Oh, there's a closed door. How am I going to open it? Listen, when the God that we serve is a God who can shake foundations, we just sang about it. There's nothing that our God can't do. And whatever man-made situation you find yourself in, because listen, those chains were man-made. Those cells were man-made. That prison was man-made, but it rested upon what God had spoken into existence. And whatever man-made situation you find yourself in, you need to be reminded, our God is bigger. And we all experience the midnight hour. We all experience our own version of prisons. But we need, to be, we need to remember that God is still God at midnight. God is still God in the deepest, most inner part of prison. Amen? That's good. Are you guys awake today? Woo! Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are all here. My whole life growing up in church, I've heard this story and man, I've always wondered, why didn't Paul and Silas leave? Man, I would have. I would have been gone. Like, peace, I'm out. Pshoo. Right, God just did this amazing miracle. I mean, it was obvious, right? It's like a giant neon sign, exit, this way. And they didn't leave. 
Why on earth would Paul and Silas stay? Man, as I chewed on that and pondered that this week, man, the answer to that question was so profound for me. Church, where we want to be isn't always where we're supposed to be. Where we want to be isn't always where we're supposed to be. Several years ago, I was able to go to Haiti um, and do some work. This was right after that horrible earthquake in 2010 where a quarter of a million people died. And so we were there doing some construction projects and working with some pastors, doing some training. Um, and during that time, I had either eaten something or drank something I wasn't supposed to. And I got sick, like the sickest I've ever been sick. Man, I just wanted to crawl in the fetal position and just die. I felt so bad. But the guy that we were partnering with really wanted to show us a school they were building outside of Port-au-Prince. And so, man, we load up on this old beat up school bus. So here I am, it is hot as blazes. I'm on this old beat up school bus, bouncing around through Port-au-Prince. Man, it's dusty because half the windows have been knocked out of this bus. And of course, Haiti's like third world, so the smell. So between the heat, the bouncing around, the dust, the smells, and me being sick, like I thought I was in hell, honestly. Just like, oh my word, this is the last place I want to be. But on that bus ride, it just so happens that right in front of me in the bench in front of me was this young man, this Haitian man named Gabriel. And Gabriel had been working with us a couple of days, just doing some interpreting. And as I, on that bus, all I could do, just besides not throwing up, was to just kind of start a conversation with Gabriel and ended up hearing Gabriel's story, how he ended up, was born in Haiti, went to college in Florida, met his wife, got married, but because of some immigration issues, he got sent back to Haiti and he hadn't seen his wife in over two years. And so he's there by himself in Haiti. And so what does he do? Man, he, he starts an orphanage out of his house. Just a small, I mean, it wasn't anything big, probably had a dozen kids. You see, when that earthquake happened, that was one of the biggest issues Haiti was facing was all of a sudden there was all these kids that didn't have any parents. And so Gabriel saw that. He just opened up his home and took in about a dozen kids. And man, just hearing his story and the joy and the light that just came out of his heart, man, it just got, it drew me to him and God knitted our hearts together. And when I got back, uh, man, we were able to really connect him with some resources here uh, man, we were able to send some teams to like build some bunk beds for his little orphanage and this and that. And we just developed this long relationship out of that day. And I can tell you this, listen, the last place I wanted to be was on that bus, but it was where I was supposed to be. Man, when that jailer saw the doors open, he assumed everyone had escaped. And that was a death sentence to him. So he took out a sword just to try to do the honorable thing and kill himself. But Paul says, listen, we are all here. Doors wide open, chains off, but we're all here. And I can't speak for Paul and Silas, but it's pretty safe bet. Listen, that prison was the last place they wanted to be. But they were all still there because for some reason, Paul knew he was supposed to be there. Look at verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then they brought them out and asked, 
Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all the others in his house. And at that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. And where you want, listen, where you want to be isn't always where you're supposed to be. I had a mentor used to always say to me, hey, sometimes what you're going through isn't really about what you're going through. See, I heard a pastor this week and this, I will never see this story the same after this week. He said, God did not send that earthquake to free Paul and Silas God sent that earthquake to save the jailer. You see that jailer, most most theologians would agree was a former Roman soldier. These civic type jobs were given to former Roman soldiers. His whole life was about duty and honor. So when he saw the prisoners was gone, he was like I said, gonna do the honorable thing, take his own life. But Paul said, stop, we're still here. This is where we're supposed to be. Man, the saddest thing to me about the Titanic, y'all remember the sinking of the Titanic? We've all seen the movie, Leonardo DiCaprio. But the truth of that story is that, man, of the 20 lifeboats, 18 of them were less than half full. Only two went back to try to save others. Going back to me being stuck there in the Ruby Mountains. I didn't tell the end of the story, and so I got, everyone was pretty upset about it. So I'll tell the end of the story to you guys. The next day I ended up hiking pretty good way, so I found a ranch, and I knocked on the door, and that rancher ended up Thank goodness, being willing to help. But he ended up, we ended up taking a truck all the way up there, couldn't get my truck out. We ended up taking a, he drove a John Deere all the way up there, couldn't get the truck out. He finally, the third attempt, drove a cat bulldozer all the way up into those Ruby Mountains to pull my truck out of that ravine. And this, I, this isn't for the sake of the sermon. This literally happened. I, man, I tried to get, come up with whatever cash I had he wouldn't take it, this old rancher. And he, I, I promise you, this is what he said. He said, no, I can't take your money. He goes, but next time you see someone who needs help, you'll help them. You see, in the situation with Paul and Silas are in this prison, they could have, the doors open, they could have said, well, man, we're getting ours and we're gone. But where they wanted to be isn't where they were supposed to be. And they were supposed to be there. That earthquake was sent to save that jailer in his whole house. Church, we're called to be a light in dark places. We're called to be a city on a hill, a refuge in a dying lost world. 
And we've been given freedom so that we can show others how to be free. We've been healed to bring healing to others. We've been saved to save others, not to be gone. That's why we're here. Paul and Silas, man, we're still all here. Don't kill yourself. You know what really changed that jailer's heart that day? It wasn't Paul's preaching. It wasn't his message. We see that a couple of verses earlier in the conversion of Lydia where he, through conversation, he was able to lead Lydia to the Lord, but not this jailer. It wasn't some supernatural miracle that we see with the demon-possessed girl, the lame man in Acts 3. It wasn't that. Man, what saved that jailer, what changed his heart was Paul and Silas's actions. It was what they did, not what they said. There's a famous quote by St. Francis. And we'll wrap up with this. It says, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. Church, we have a world that's watching. And they especially watch when they find themselves in a similar situation that we find ourselves in. And they're watching how we're going to respond because we claim to be different. We claim to have the answer, to have the source of hope. And they're watching. And it doesn't matter what I have to say if my life says something else. Man, my life should be my greatest sermon. My life is more powerful than any theological argument I could come up with. And we're called to preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. And so here's my heart. When I find myself in a mess, when I find myself in a helpless situation, I pray that those around me other people will see me praising God. They will hear me worshiping my God, my Savior. And I pray that my life will speak louder than anything else. It will bring change and healing and freedom to them. Let's pray. Father God, I, first off, I thank you for the freedom that we have found in you. God, I thank you for each and everyone here that, God, you have found us in our time of need. You have found us where we were at, and God, you have saved us and redeemed us and set us free. And God, I thank you and praise you for that. But God, I pray that, God, I just wouldn't take that freedom and just, I got mine, now I'm gone. Because of what you've done in my life, God, I pray that the rest of my life is spent, Lord, pointing others to you. That the rest of my life is spent, God, bringing freedom to those who need it, bringing healing to those who need it, salvation to those who need it. And God, I pray that when people watch me, that God, what my life reflects matches up with what your word says. And in the deepest, darkest moments, they would hear me singing your praises for how good you are because you are a good, mighty, sovereign God. 
We worship you in this place. We thank you in this place. God, I pray we would be your ambassadors as we go throughout this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, there's going to be people up here. Have an awesome time. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.